eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's weekend preview time. We have a lot of action to talk about, including in the Premier League, West Ham against Manchester United, Chelsea against Leeds, uh, Liverpool against Wolves, and of course, the North London Derby as Arsenal and Tottenham face off. We have Sevilla, Real Madrid. We have a lot of European content as well as MLS. We have Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce. Stay right here because Weekend Preview Que Golazo begins right now. Welcome to Que Golazo, everybody. It's our Weekend Preview show. We have so much content to begin everything. Of course, I'm here with my brother, with my work spouse, Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy, how are you, man? I saw that tweet about me being your work spouse. That was legendary. And it's true. Uh, and Brad should be in there, too. You guys can't see him, but our producer, he's with us. Like a, a, a menage a work spouse tra, I think, however you guys want to say that. But Yeah, uh, you, know that, I, that, you know that HBO show, Big Love? That's what we are. Like, exactly right. <laughs> we're all just one big polygamous family. And then we have our community as well. So I feel like, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of warmth and goodness and positivity. So I'm all about it. I'm all about it too, and I'm all about this weekend preview. And we begin, of course, in the Premier League. By the way, before we kick off the matches with Jimmy, and of course discussing so much action, a reminder that, by the way, this is the first weekend where you will see fans returning to stadiums in certain clubs, not everywhere, in certain clubs, according to the tier system in the UK. A few uh, pieces of information, Chel uh, Newcastle, Aston Villa postponed. That was meant to be a Friday game, and it was postponed due to the overwhelming amount of COVID cases with Newcastle training had to stop, etc. Aston Villa, the league, everybody approved. So that's postponed. So we listen, begin on listen, Saturday. As a Newcastle supporter, I just think we maybe we did that because we didn't want to get our ass beat by Aston Villa. <laughs> I, I'm just throwing that out there. Steve Bruce I'm is like, throw, I'm just throwing that out there. It's a possibility. Steve Bruce sees Jolington like sneezing, and he's like, right, that's it. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're done. <laughs> Everybody's got COVID in this place. Shut it all down. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. But anyway, that was meant to be the Friday game. So no Friday game. So everything begins on Saturday. As I mentioned, uh, a lot of action. And we're not going to do this chronologically. We're going to begin with the North London Derby, Jimmy Conrad. A huge game as Mikel Arteta looks to finally get back on track. As we are taping, obviously, they still have the Europa League game to take care of, but this is a very big game in the Premier League as they face high-chasing, high-flying Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, so big, in fact, that I expect both teams in the Europa League to not roll out their best 11, so they're saving energy for this Derby in particular. It's a big one. I know that the, the, the distance between both of these teams and the table is quite large, 
Uh, Arsenal are in the bottom half of the table. Tottenham are sitting on top. Everything's looking roses right now for Spurs. And I think they're going to win this one, Luis. I'm going to get into my betting line here that I found on William Hill that I think everybody will probably get on board with. It's up to you, of course, if you want to risk, risk it. But I just feel like I started thinking about these teams a little bit more last night as I'm doing my research and looking through it. When I look at the personality of these teams, I feel like if you punched, let's say, Arsenal collectively in the face, they'd be like, oh, man, that hurt. You stop, stop, stop hitting me, you know, and, and I don't think you're going to get the, the type of response that you look. There's, of course, a handful of players, you know, granted, Jock would, would fight you anywhere, anytime, any place and pick up a yellow card somewhere. Right. Thomas Partey, for sure, would be one of those players. But there's other ones that I just think would be like, oh, man, this game's kind of hard. I don't know if I want to do it. And they have more of those guys, in my opinion, than they do the ones that will punch back. When I look at Tottenham and what I think Jose Mourinho has done very well with this club in particular, and you saw it in the documentary, we have way too many nice guys on the team. And I think you can see now that they've got a little bit of that. If you punch me, I'm going to punch you back and I'm going to punch you back harder. And that is a hallmark of what a championship team is all about. And that's why you see them doing well. And, and also, also they've added some pieces too. I think they had a tremendous uh, transfer window of picking up uh, Sergio Reguillon. We could argue if, if he comes good against Gareth Bale, kind of stealing him from Real Madrid, Carlos Vinicius has been excellent. They have so many options now that can hurt you in so many different ways. So here's my line on this. I like Harry Kane to score. I know that he supported Arsenal as a kid. He doesn't care now. He's going to score. Spurs are going to win, but it has to be either 1-0, 2-0, or 2-1. I still think it's going to be tight, plus 450 for that. I really like that value. It's called the Jimmy special when I pick a score and a team to win. But, you know, I like Harry Kane to do the business. He's not going to play in the Europa League for sure. He's going to rest. He didn't train earlier in the week. He's going to be ready to go. He's having a special season, even though you could go Hingman's son, which is plus 550 if you want, if, that, if that's who you want as your horse. But that scoreline still has to be the same, 1-0, 2-0, I think it's going to be a tight one. Uh, I think Arsenal will still put up somewhat of a fight, but when it comes down to it, I think Spurs just have too much quality and too much grit. I think the word is grit that I'm looking for that Spurs have and, and Arsenal don't. Yeah, some very good points. Before we continue our analysis, we actually had Ben Davis on the show for CBS. James Bench, our very own James Bench, interviewed him and he had some words about the North London Derby and Harry Kane. Listen to this. They're a very good side. We've seen that in the last, last year and a bit under Arteta, what they can do and... Look, it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge, but these are the games you have to win if you want to compete, and we take it step by step and look to get three points. I've seen him work on all aspects of his game since since he started, and he's been, he's been phenomenal for the last few years, but to add another dimension to his game, which is, you know, it's been there, but I think he's, he's done it for us in the past, but it's just on a more consistent level, and it's getting the plaudits it deserves now is... Um, He's an amazing player, and if he can keep doing these things consist consistently, he he will rightly be applauded as one of the best in the world. Ben Davies right there. And just to talk a little bit more about the North London derby, Jimmy, Tottenham are unbeaten in their last uh, six Premier League home games against the Gunners, four wins and two draws. Since a nothing one loss in March 2014, it's their longest uh, unbeaten home league run against the Gunners since a run of nine between January 1960 and January 1968. Just call me Luis Stato. <laughs> so this is a big one. Let's, start, you know, we talked a lot about Tottenham here, Jimmy. Thoughts on Arsenal. I mean, what is happening? We had you talking about it. Aaron West was here. You know, just when we think that the identity is back, you know, you think that they're regressing. What do they have to do to win this game? I think they need to score first. 
uh, frankly. If they score first, I think that will give them the belief that, all right, maybe we can go on and win this game. Maybe we can survive the toughness that Spurs do have and have shown and displayed throughout the season. That would do that would do a lot. And I, I honestly think it has to be like a certain player. You know, if Lacazette scores, for, for instance, he might go on to score a second one. You know, he's that type of confidence player. Nicola Pepe is another one. If he gets a run out, obviously he's been feisty lately. You know, he might punch back. He's been headbutting people and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's under a great deal of pressure. You know, he signed a big contract and has been kind of lackluster since. That's normal for players, right? You work really hard to get that, that acceptance and to, to prove that you're worth a certain amount of money. And then you get there and there's always a little bit of a drop-off. It's rare when you see players then continue to catapult into another stratosphere because, all right, cool, I got my money. I'm going to try to go get more. Like, where's that intrinsic motivation come from when you've already kind of accomplished everything you set out to do? So that's that's getting kind of deep on uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But they finally put him up top, you know, in between the two center backs. Maybe he's better. I feel like he might be more effective out wide they do this is the crazy part they miss an Olivier Giroud and obviously Olivier Giroud is coming off a four goal performance in the Champions League so it's very he's like top of mind right now you know what we know Arsenal really needs they need this player and I feel like Manchester United might have unlocked a few things even though they lost to PSG I think Enzo Cavani is going to be a very good signing for them Arsenal's always had a history at least in the recent let's say five to ten years of kind of signing the same player you know it's like when they were looking for uh Hussam Awar from from uh Leon I was like doesn't he kind of like everybody else on your team? Like, I don't, I don't understand, you know? So it's really interesting. I feel like they need to go out and get some center backs. Gabriel's been good, but they're still missing a few pieces. And that, for, again, it comes back to like having guys that have that grip of can also play. And I think that's where Granite Jaka, I never really saw him as a proper Arsenal player. And he's got like a lot of one, like a lot of other good things, but he doesn't really fit the Arsenal molds, you know? So it's interesting. I, I, I questioned some of their signings in the past and, and some of them haven't come good. You know, Lacazette, I think everybody expected more out of him. Pepe, obviously they paid a whole bunch for him and he's still, he's lacking confidence and lacking where he fits into the team. And Mikel Arteta, I wouldn't want to be that guy right now. I'm just waiting for the banners outside the Emirates to say Arteta out. You know, I just think that's how fickle the Arsenal fan group can be sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Arsenal fans come at me. I don't care because I grew up with this stuff. I've been to Highbury. I grew up near there. Like I know exactly. My best friends are Arsenal fans. I know everything about you. All right. North London Derby. Listen, my point. The only thing that I will add to your very good analysis of Arsenal is that I fear that when Mikel Arteta's system and his team is down, the last kind of a strategy that you want to play against is a Mourinho system because um, Mourinho is just going to be like, all right, what do you have? And if you don't have anything, then we're just going to keep punching you in the face and be, That's like right. you said, more aggressive. The other point, I think, is that I don't know if Mikel Arteta needs to reconfigure at the very least what he wants to see from his trio up front. Mm -hmm. like positional base, because I just think that if you're going to try and attack, so you have Sergio Reilon on one side, right? Um, trying to go forward, getting those crosses in, etc. Doherty as well. Then I feel like Arteta's system should be, you know what? I'm actually going to use a dose of your own medicine, Tottenham. I'm going to wait and see what you do. And then I'm just going to counter. Mm -hmm. But Arteta's not that kind of manager, I feel. He likes to have the ball. He likes to have the possession base is, and, and also doesn't really, you know, do that much in the final third. And I feel that that might be the Achilles heel looking into this one. No, it's great analysis. I, I agree with you on that. And I just think that Mourinho's team does have an identity. They're very confident in how they're playing right now. And Arsenal isn't. And sometimes that can make the difference, which is why I said if Arsenal does score first, that could put pressure on Spurs in a different way 
and give obviously Arsenal a lot of confidence to do so. I just still think that's going to be a big order. If Chelsea, who are unbeaten in the last 15 games and are banging goals all over the place with some of the world's best attacking players, can't score against Spurs, uh, it could be a tall order for Arsenal. But maybe set pieces. Maybe there's something there that can make it happen. I'm not going to discount Arsenal because as we've learned with derbies all over the world, where you are in the table doesn't matter when you're yeah. playing against your biggest rival. So, so I don't want to discount them, but I really feel like Spurs have the edge here. And I think Harry Kane's going to hit the score sheet. Yep. And from the numerical perspective, you know, Arsenal are in 14th as we speak. And, you know, a loss uh, means quite a bit to them in terms of, you know, reaching that top four. It doesn't matter what you think about it and how early it is. It's still a big deal. Let's move on and let's talk about West Ham against Manchester United. That's the late kickoff in local time, 1230 Eastern here in the US. And this is actually the very first game where you'll see fans in the Premier League. We know that Arsenal will do it in Europa, but in the Premier League, this will be the first game with fans. Um, and this is David Moyes facing his former team. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of really uh, interesting uh, caveats here in this one. What do you got for us? For me, it's going to come down to the same question we ask anytime we preview Manchester United. What team are they going to roll out? And for me in this one in particular, they're not going to roll out their top team because they have to win or get a draw in Germany against RB Leipzig midweek. And that game itself, for them to get the Champions League knockout rounds, is worth so much money and visibility and brand building for them, which is very important for uh, the Glazer family uh, and Ed Woodward in particular. So I expect, I expect a kind of makeshift Manchester United team. Again, I was trying to find some good value for everybody. Maybe Paul Pogba gets a run out. He'll probably take the penalties. I don't expect Bruno Fernandes to play in this one. They need him for, as fresh as possible for RB Leipzig, who are very good in midfield and will really crowd Bruno Fernandes in that one. So they need him as fresh as possible. I like Mason Greenwood to score anytime at plus 200. If you got Paul Pogba scoring anytime, it's plus 400. I think both of those guys will start, and I think they will have an impact. West Ham have been very good, though, and... Jared Bowen in particular had the goal and assist against Aston Villa. I'm sorry about that. That game's a little sketchy anyway for you, Luis. Uh, he's, he's a player that when he had a goal in one game earlier in the season, he scored uh, the next game. He's a confidence player as well. He's very young. Uh, he's the, they got the second best home record in the Premier League, West Ham. That might be a little unknown stat for everybody, but United have won all four away games. So if you just want West Ham to win straight up, it's plus 109. Um, or excuse me, a Manchester United is plus 109. And then for the draw, plus 240. I could see a draw here. So what I do sometimes on William Hill, this might be cheating. I don't know. Can you cheat? I don't know if you can cheat uh, William Hill in any sports books, but I, I try to look at different things. And there's this one area of it where you can see, or you can bet on the exact score lines. So I'm like, I'm going to go there and see what the odds makers think they think the score line is going to be. Which one is their favorite to, or their, you know, Who's betting at the most or whatever? 1-1 one, one was the exact score that, that had the best. It was plus 500. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to be that, but I thought that was cured that they think that 1-1 one, one is going to be the score line. So that was always interesting to me. And I'm starting to do that a little bit more. So I'll give you guys more context with that with regard to my bets. So 1-1, one, one, I could see that for sure. But just to be safe and maybe get a, away from the result a little bit, I think Pogba, who probably take the penalties because Bruno's out, like I said, and Mason Greenwood could hit the back of the net. He's due, I think, and, and he should get all 90 minutes in this one. Yeah, a draw is definitely one that you could see, especially as you mentioned that Manchester United has to look as well ahead to what's coming up and securing their Champions League spot. Listen, West Ham is on a great run, right? Fifth in the Premier League, 17 points. Uh, they beat Aston Villa and David Moyes is feeling good. Uh, you know, um, Antonio returns after a hamstring injury. Uh, Saeed Ben-Rahama looked really good when he came on. You know, there is confidence. My only thing. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. 
It's just, I mean, you, everybody already knows what I'm going to say. It's David Moyes, okay? Like, the, lot, the, the win against Aston Villa, three points, the most important thing, no doubt. But listen, less than 40% possession. Only two shots on targets, we have, which happen to be the, golf, the goals. Fair enough. But when you're that secluded, when you're that restrained, when you're focused so much more on the counter and less on creativity, it's just, I worry a little bit about, you know, what's going to happen. But, but I think it's the luck of the draw, the, fight, the fact that they're facing a Manchester United side that's being very precautious. Like I'm reading right now that David De Gea, you know, was a little bit uncomfortable in that Champions League game. I don't know if he'll play in this one. You mentioned, of course, Bruno Fernandes might get a rest. Marcus Rashford as well, I think picked up a knock, uh, not, not a very serious one, but one that we might have to watch out for. So I don't know. I just don't know. I feel like Moyes will be, if he used five defenders against Villa, what's he going to do against Manchester United? I agree with you 100%. I, I, if Ole Gunnar starts any of those guys with RB Leipzig midweek and then Manchester City the following week, right, the Manchester Derby, I think he's going to try to grind out a zero or a, a draw on this one and hope that West Ham is thinking the same thing because that's kind of David Moyes-esque, right, to try to just grind out a draw. I do want to say in defense of David Moyes, they beat Wolverhampton 4-0 this season. They went to Leicester and beat Leicester 3-0. They drew with Manchester City. They had that 3-3 miraculous comeback against Tottenham. There is something about this West Ham team that we can't deny anymore. And I think the stats back it up. You know, they only lost to Liverpool. I always say only two to one. Uh, you know, they took down Villa off controversially, but they still got the result there. They're beating the teams they should beat, which is kind of un-West Ham-like. You know, they beat uh, Fulham 1-0. They beat Sheffield United 1-0. I'm like, who are these guys? Fifth in do. the Premier League, Jimmy. I mean, you I get it. You I get it. You can't argue it. Like, you know, you it, they've scored more, you know, they've scored 17 goals and only conceded 11. I mean, yeah, fair play. I just... It's just weird to me that I see performances, the ones that you just mentioned, and then a really sort of restrained performance against Villa. But granted, they won. So who's to knock them off, right? Um, yeah. Just but I'm with you. I'm with a draw here. There's the schedule is crazy for them. They got United. Then they go to Leeds. Then they got Crystal Palace, which is a London derby. Uh, they got Chelsea, which is another London derby. And uh, then it'll ease up a bit with Brighton. And then they have Southampton and Everton. Like these next three weeks, for me, are really going to determine if this West Ham team is for real and if they can really push on and do something special in the second half of the season, I think we could all sit here and probably go, eh, probably not. But given the results that we just discussed, who's to say they just are, there's something about them that's a little different than in years past. Yeah, but definitely not. I think they're <laughs> treated like a balloon. I feel sorry, but I, I still, but I you know, it. enjoy it while you can. Uh, let's move on because there's another big one. Um, earlier that Saturday, as high-flying Chelsea, the beautiful Olivia Giroud, and high-flying Chelsea hosting Leeds United. Marcelo says Leeds United. This one, just like we were very excited about when Man City played Leeds, I feel like this has similar narratives just because of the contrast in strategies yeah, yeah. and the talent. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, how do you see this one, Jimmy Conrad? I see a lot of goals in this one. My initial like when I was looking at William Hill was the over. The over is three and a half goals plus 130. Why I say that is because Chelsea, for me, even though they're on this incredible run and it seems like Frank Lampard has unlocked the, the team a little bit and how they should attack. And then they basically, almost like the French national team, you take out one starter where you're like, oh, well, I got another starter coming off the bench who's just as good, but, you know, maybe he doesn't fit. Christian Pulisic comes to mind, you know, Zayich. You know, this is ridiculous. Okay, we'll bring on Havertz instead. Like, what is this? is even fair. It's like a video game. So, so they're on this incredible run, but for them, I think they struggle against teams that sit back. 
And their, their game against Spurs, I thought was a perfect, you know, example of that. This is different because Leeds don't sit back. They try to pressure, especially in midfield, very aggressively. The problem is Chelsea have players that are good enough to handle that pressure. And if you have someone that has pace like Timo Werner that can get in behind, that's going to be a big, big issue for Leeds who do take some risks, I think, in trying to pressure the ball. When it works, it's great. But when it doesn't, it's, it's, like, it's, like, a, it's like a breakaway in, in, in NBA, right? It's like, what is even happening? So I can see Leeds either – you know, winning a tight one, some or not, I'd say winning a tight one, but, but it can be really low scoring or it's going to be eight goals, you know? And I just feel like it's going to be the latter. I think Chelsea are way too good right now. I think Leeds are going to score. So actually my favorite bet in the whole thing was Chelsea to win both teams to score plus 160. I could see a three, one, three, two in this. If you guys are feeling Olivier Giroud, obviously coming off a big performance, they don't need anything in the next midweek. They've already clinched the top spot in their champions league group. They can play all their youngsters or play some players that haven't got many meaningful minutes in a while. So I could see Olivier Giroud going with a hot hand. He's plus 115 to score any time. I think Pulisic will play in this game as well, or I hope he does. He's plus 115 to score any time. So if you're feeling the American slant there and you want to throw him to the mix, I just think those are those are good values. But I see Chelsea winning this game. With all due respect to Leeds, who I think uh, are a good team and have, have started to figure out their way a little bit. But this, this Chelsea team's too good. Yeah, I agree. I think the balance of uh, when you just look at both squads, no matter how, you know, uh, brave and courageous, especially in creativity, leads are under Marcelo Bielsa. This Frank Lampard side is just too good. It's just too good. Um, and you have to look at that. You know, you mentioned Pulisic coming back. There's just too many weapons. When one doesn't work, well, just use another one. When another one doesn't work, just use another one. So, you know, and I think they're going to, they know what they're, you know, they know what leads are all about. And then when you add the tremendous inclusion of somebody like Edward Mendy in goal, who's just so secure of what he does, especially when defending corners and set pieces, which is also where leads can be very dangerous, then you would think, yeah, I think a Chelsea win. By the way, Pat Bamford, he signed for Chelsea back in 2012 as a teenager, right? But failed to make, a, obviously, a senior appearance revenge, for the Blues. Revenge time. Yeah, so maybe, you never know, a little bit of redemption. And by the way, Leeds United, one of those teams that, like, uh, their chances, like their percentile and chances are tremendous. Mm -hmm. It's just about putting them away. So you, you never know. But I still think, and I favor, of course, uh, Frank Lampard's Chelsea. And he is considering to your point, uh, you know, really just going all out and, you know, ride the hot hand. Olivier Giroud, why don't you put him in there? Four goals against Sevilla. Who's to say he can't do it against Leeds United? Oh, he can. And he most likely will. If he starts, he might go back to Tammy Abraham at that point. And then, I'm, you know, I think it's probably similar odds for Tammy Abraham to score any time too. But yeah, I, 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 I respect what Leeds is about. And I think they're putting the pieces in place to be very successful for a long time. But I don't think they, they, I don't think they'll have a chance in this game. I just think it's going to be very unlikely. Yeah. When we come back, a very quick drop. When we come back, a little bit more Premier League, and then we'll get straight into it. And we welcome Heath Pierce uh, later on to talk some major league soccer. Stay right here. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, A little bit more Premier League action here before we keep talking about Europe and anything else. And when we welcome Heath Beers to discuss MLS. Uh, Jimmy, Liverpool Wolves. uh, Interesting one. A lot of narratives in this one as well. That's a Sunday game, 2.15 Eastern. uh, The last game of the weekend right how do you see this one so for me first and foremost this is the diogo excuse me jota derby he surprisingly got signed out of nowhere to liverpool everybody was like what why would you say he doesn't even start for wolves and the guy has been a revelation for liverpool and and arguably maybe the best transfer window signing at least in the premier league so fair play to liverpool for doing their homework and for their scouts and jurgen klopp everybody involved for giving him a chance and and he's been excellent and i think the perfect piece to continue to motivate Mo Salah and and sadio mane to stay on their game and bobby firmino to continue to pick up his levels as well and really challenge those guys not to get complacent and and i mean i can't say enough about diego jota on the flip side, I can't believe Wolves let him go. They had this guy in his team. They're like, ah, oh, sure, 40 million. Sure, we'll take 40 million for him. I think maybe they were underrating his ability a little bit. And unfortunately, due to Raul Jimenez getting hurt, you know, and, and we're glad that he's okay, even though I think it's going to take him uh, quite a while to get back into the team and back to playing regularly. They could really use uh, Diego Jota. And, and uh, you know, I, I like, as much as I like Wolves, and I think they're going to be compact, uh, I don't think they're going to do the business here. And, and the lines that I have for this one that I thought of interest for you guys was uh, Diego Jota to score, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, anytime, plus 110 for him. Liverpool, so I don't know where you, I, I'm kind of curious where you think the score line is going to be on this, Luis, because I can make a really strong narrative for why I think Liverpool is going to win and get over two and a half goals, because that's the line, two and a half, over-unders, two and a half. That's plus 105, but if you go the under at two and a half, it's plus 280. And I could see a 1-0 game here, too. I mean, it was not easy for them to break down Ajax midweek, even though they had all their, their, their best attacking players starting in this game. You know, I, maybe they're trying to be a little bit more conservative because their back line is a little bit more vulnerable than it has been in the past. They don't want to stretch themselves too thin or put some of their younger players in a position where they're going to be isolated and maybe not have the cover that they normally have. I can sense there's some conservatism for sure. They're definitely not banging in as many goals since Virgil van Dijk's been, been hurt and Trent Alexander-Arnold's been out and kind of this rotating back four. So I could see the under here, and it's tremendous value really at plus 280. I don't see Wolves scoring. I don't know where it's going to come from. Maybe a set piece. I don't know who else is going to step up for them without Jimenez. Uh, some of their other players that you normally count on haven't really been performing either. And, and I could th- think this could be a long day. There's also another line I like most a lot of score in Liverpool to win 1-0, which is more than possible, 2-0 or 2-1. Uh, I don't know what the line is on that. Oh, I thought it was plus 333, sorry, plus 333 on that. That's good value too. It just depends. Sadio Mane is similar. It just depends on who your horse is. Sometimes when I pick a player, it's always the other guy that scores. So take that into consideration. <laughs> the George Costanza philosophy, whatever you just do the opposite. Pick the yeah. opposite. Listen, the, the, to echo just your points, uh, sneakily, Liverpool are currently enjoying their second longest unbeaten home run in English top flight history. 64 games, you know, since, since lose, nice. not losing at home. It's pretty good. And uh, Liverpool has won 53 of these. And, you know, against Wolves, uh, you know, they've just lost, just lost one of their 12 Premier League meetings with them, uh, winning each of the last seven in a row mm-hmm. by an aggregate score of 15 to 2. And when you take away Raul Jimenez, uh, wish him the best recovery, 
it's going to be very difficult, I feel, for Wolves to do this. So I agree with you. I see uh, Liverpool win. And wouldn't it be... I mean, Diego Jota is definitely scoring this. Yeah, uh, yeah, w- yeah. Whether it's one or two, we'll see. But uh, look, just like Chelsea, they don't have to worry about the Champions League anymore. Yeah. So they can go all out. So Liverpool win, I feel, in this one. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on very quickly before we sure, introduce sure. Heath Pierce. Let's talk about Europe. Uh, the rest of Europe, Sevilla, Real Madrid, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, there's three games I'm really looking at in Europe. We'll start in La Liga in Spain. Sevilla plays on plays Real Madrid. And what's interesting is that they're both coming from really poor performances in Europe. Sevilla lost 4-0 to Chelsea. Real Madrid shockingly got beat by Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, and they're not so struggling. Sevilla's going through. They didn't start. Mike, Mike, this is at home for Sevilla. They have won three straight in the league. Real Madrid is all over the place. You, you can't get a good performance. There's no consistency with this team right now. Real Madrid rolled out their best 11 or, you know, given their whatever their best 11 was based on injuries against Shakhtar. Sevilla didn't roll out their best 11. They had a lot, maybe eight guys that no, don't normally play regularly. Uh, Jesus Navas is back on the team after having a red card. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to get back in. Acuna is probably going to start at the left back. I like his game a lot for Sevilla. They're going to add all these pieces. Sevilla to win straight up for me is plus 163. If you think both teams are going to score and you want Sevilla to win, it's plus 340. William Hill has this as a coin flip. So if you want uh, Real Madrid to win straight up, it's plus 163. I just don't see Madrid doing it. I don't I don't know what's up with these guys. I really don't. And I don't think they know what's up either. And I think Zidane is going to feel it. I don't think they'd ever fire Zidane. Zidane's way too cool for that. I think he he's playing chess while the rest of us are playing checkers. I think he'd walk away like he did last time. Um, just be like, I'm done with this. I, well, I don't even need it. What am I even doing here? I've got more than enough money. I've got all my street cred. I'm one of the best to ever do it. I've won more Champions League trophies than I think than any other manager. I, I'm cool. Like I've done what I needed to do. I've proved everything. So that, that's a whole different narrative. But I like Sevilla in this one to win straight up. And I don't know. What do you think? I think the only thing I would say is that Real Madrid are winless in their last three uh, games in La Liga, and they've never failed to win in four consecutive games in the competition under mm, Zidane. That's a and I feel that. Fact. And I feel that history is ready to be made here. And Sevilla, an angry Sevilla, by the way, despite the rotation against Chelsea, is going to come guns blazing at home, I think. Uh, Sevilla win this one. All right, cool. We're on the same page then. I'm yeah, going to go, let's go to Serie A. There's the Turin Derby, Juventus versus Torino. And I thought this was really interesting. Cristiano Ronaldo's on something fierce right now. He's scoring a bunch of goals. It's hard to get any really good value with him, per se. But... Uh, I like Juve to win and both teams to score plus 160. I think they're going to do the business. I think they're feeling very good after a good solid performance in the Champions League against Dinamo Kiev. Uh, they need to get it going again in the league. I think Ronaldo will start this one. He, he was rested last time around. I know midweek, though, they play in Barcelona. I don't know if Ronaldo plays that one. I don't even know if Messi plays that one. They're both already through to the knockout rounds. It'll be interesting to keep your eye on that. It'll, it'll, that's the one we want. And I'm, I feel like FIFA and, and UEFA will be pressuring, like, you guys have to play. We need as much marketing power as possible. We'll pay you extra to play in this game against each other. So maybe they'll roll, roll each other out. So that might influence a little bit, but I still like Juve in this one. I do want to give a shout out to Torino, though, because who've quietly listened to these results, by the way. They're like uh, the West Ham of, of Serie A, because when I look at their fixtures, they, they drew with Sassuolo 3-3. They lost to Atalanta 4-2. They lost to Lazio 4-3. to They lost to Inter 4-2. to I mean, they're scoring goals against the biggest cl- – and hanging with those guys, right? So I feel like they're going to hang with Juve. They're just going to lose like they did with all the rest of them. But but it's really interesting to me that they've, they've got something to them. They just can't kind of get over that hump and win some games. So I like that one a lot. 
Yeah, they concede the most goals out of anybody in Serie A. So they, they have the grit. It's just that, you know, the preparation, especially yeah. during the latter stages of a game. So, uh, you know, 18th in Serie A. Yeah, I see a Juventus win in this one for sure. All right, cool. I, I love yeah. it. We're on the same page. Last one is in the Bundesliga. against Bayern Munich versus RB Leipzig. Ooh. What a matchup. It's very what good a- on paper. Uh, I like Lewandowski to score, Bayern to win both teams to score, very similar to what I said. Uh, well, actually, I'm adding a player there. Lewandowski, obviously, is an absolute beast. You, uh, listen, there's three certainties in life, and I know I have a lot of certainties, but death, taxes, and you never bet against Bayern Munich ever in any stretch of the imagination because they'll always prove you wrong. So I'm betting with them here. and I think Arrested Lewandowski, too, by the way. Exactly. Le- and I think RB Leipzig will be resting players here because they need to win midweek against Manchester United to have a chance to get into the knockout rounds. I just think that the tips the scales to Bayern even more. So I just wanted to give that a shout out. Lots of great games, though, across Europe and obviously in the Premier League. And then we have some here in North America with the uh, Liga MA Keys playoffs and, and MLS. So much action. When we come back, we bring in Heath Beers to discuss MLS. Stay right here. Welcome back, everybody, to Kego Lasso. Jimmy Conrad with us still. And we welcome Heath Pierce. Heath, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. It's early here. Uh, but, um, you know, I don't know what early or late is anymore. It's all the same. I'm good, though. How's that? Are you guys doing good? We're doing so good. We're, we're happy you're here because we're going to talk some MLS. Now, um, listeners, you should know we are obviously taping this on Thursday. And the Sporting KC Minnesota game is tonight as we speak. So we are talking uh, based on a few things uh, regarding Columbus, New England, of course, but also just who will be the winner uh, and face Seattle Sounders. Uh, let's begin with you, Heath. Um, let's talk about, first of all, the crew against New England. Bruce Arena. Bruce Arena does it again. Uh, he, he's just pushing the limits when it comes to some knockout uh, postseason soccer. How do you see this one? That's a Sunday game, 3 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, this one's this one's a hard one to, to really play out. I think I think if you go back to Columbus against Nashville, Columbus gave them some trouble. Um, not a ton, but but enough to take it to extra time and and, and, and ultimately go out. Uh, but uh, a New England side that's really good right now, right? Um, when you look at uh, B- Buchanan, uh, unbelievable so far um, in the playoffs, especially Carlos Hill, the, the, just the return of him has uh, just sort of changed the dynamic of that team. As we, uh, as we know, that, that puts Gustavo Boo in, in better positions where he doesn't have to be the guy that uh, has to generate the attack and can, can pick and choose his moments. But a really good matchup here. Um, are we looking for a prediction from me? Do we want a prediction on this or uh, just some general uh, overview? Go go to town, man. Give me your prediction. Um, okay, I'm going with uh, I'm going with uh, man. Gosh, every time I look at it now, I, I start to back off of this. I no, Columbus is so hard to bet against with with a good team. But um, I'm I'm gonna on. go with what? Come on, Heath. You okay. know where to go. You know where okay. to lead. I'm going with New England. Sad, I'm going with New England. He's finally on our. Uh, yeah, I'm going with New England. I I got to. Bruce Arena ball, playoff ball. We all know that there, there's so much to uh, the playoffs that that people don't really understand. Uh, I mean, people understand it, but there's so much that goes into building a playoff squad and being in the form that you need. Obviously, um, there was some depth issues around Columbus on, on the COVID side with the goalkeeper being out. If he's out, just like Orlando, that will continue to hurt them. So he could potentially miss this match. So I'm going to go with New England in this one. Welcome I'm with back, welcome back. Yes, welcome back. Welcome to the squad. I'm with you on this with New England, but I'm going to come at it from a different perspective. If you guys remember, there's this famous clip when Caleb Porter is managing the Portland Timbers and Bruce Arena is managing the Galaxy. The Timbers score a big goal, and Caleb Porter turns 
to the Galaxy staff, most notably to Bruce Arena, and like is losing his mind and basically telling him to f off. You know, we've got this, and it's like uh, it's so insane that that he would get to that level. And actually, it's one thing to do that when you're not looking at the staff, you're not actually like trying to you know gesture to them to go you know go f yourself or whatever. He that's what he did, and I feel like. Bruce Arena has something to obviously there's a little payback there. And you don't, you don't forget that type of stuff. Caleb Porter for me is too emotional when it comes to maybe trying to overcome his mentors or to overcome people he looked up to as a coach. I think that's going to permeate into his team. I think he's going to be super vocal. He's already a vocal guy from what I understand in the locker room. Like he's already going to be way too into it. Not to say that his players won't buy in, but I just feel like the approach of Bruce Arena and his pragmatism and the way that he organizes his teams and he leaves the emotion out of it is going to have his guys in a better spot. They're not going to be in this emotional spiral that I think that, that, that Caleb Porter could be in, especially when New England's done a very good job of scoring early in these playoffs, right? And I think that changes the outcome. It changes the implications of what you're doing at halftime and the tactics. And if they can do that again, I think Columbus is going to have a tough time, despite my, I, 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 my admiration for Pedro Santos and, and Jossie Zardes and Darlington Nagby, terrific players, and they've done a great job this season. And their defenders, of course, Mensa in particular in the back. I think they're good. I think they're solid, but I just think that emotion could work against them. And Caleb Porter is going to be asking crazy stuff that, that Bruce Arena won't of his team. And I think that steadiness will be better for new England. Jimmy, uh, just for context, give, give people the overview of Bruce Arena. You played a lot of your caps under Bruce Arena. Like, what is it that he would bring to a moment like this? Like what is Bruce Arena saying in the locker room? What is the week leading up? What is the atmosphere, right? You have so many different coaches, so many different styles, especially the being so, polar opposites of a Bruce arena is a Caleb Porter. What is it that just give us a little for people that don't know what, yeah. what a Bruce, who a Bruce arena is. So I always felt very prepared under Bruce and I always knew what my role was. It was very clear what was expected out of me. And I never felt like there was any pressure. You know, I didn't feel like he felt pressure. I felt like he was always cool and calm and this is what we need to do. And if we do these things, we put ourselves in a good chance uh, to get a result. What I also liked about him, and I'll kind of use him as a contrast. I'll use Bob Bradley as an example because they were my back-to-back -back national team managers. When I was with Bruce, I always felt like we had a chance to win. Like he was putting us in a position and gave us a little bit of that attitude that Bruce definitely has. And that's what makes him uh, as successful as he is. He's got that confidence, and that confidence comes across in his teams. We know what we want to do. Here are our roles. Let's execute, and if we do these things, we'll win. When I was with Bob, just to use, again, just as a contrast, excuse me, it's not better or worse. Bob obviously had tremendous success with the national team as well. I always felt like Bob put us in a position like the other team's better than us, you know, and always put us in a formation that felt like we, it, we, we have to survive to potentially win this game. And it was more of a hope than, than a certainty. And I think that Bruce is very good at that at, at instilling this kind of confidence that, that isn't for everybody. There's a lot of people that think Bruce arena is super arrogant. I'm not one of those people I've obviously seen behind the scenes and I, I get where he's coming from and I understand how he ne needs to motivate his players regardless of this, let's, let's, even if Caleb Porter is super emotional, the players know Caleb at this point, they've seen him in all ranges of emotion. They're going to go out there. They're going to go do what they're going to do despite this thing. But I think it can be distracting. If you have a manager who's all over the place, who maybe can't handle the pressure that wants to win so badly, he's overthinking. He's, he's, he's tinkering too much. We can look at Pep Guardiola with Manchester city, right? He in champions league, he's always oh, like, he's like, Oh no, we should put this guy here and that guy there. And you know, all these players are going to do this. And then they end up losing because it's, they get away from what worked in the first place, which is like, dude, you got the most talented players in the world, put them in a good spot to, to win and let them go. Don't, don't, don't handcuff them, you know? And I think Caleb Porter could given what I know about him could do the same and that could hurt Columbus.
there's something to be said about a manager's sentiment and the way that he is can translate and echo itself on the players as well. So they might be, so, you know, players like Carles Hill, for example, will be looking at a Bruce Arena and he'll know exactly what he needs to do because Bruce Arena will be very direct. We know that Jimmy Conrad has to leave, by the way, so we'll drop the mic to you. If you have anything else that you want to say from the other side, we know that Sporting KC Minnesota plays tonight, but either way, you still see Seattle as a, one of the favorites, right? Uh, no, no question. They're the, the favorites until proven otherwise. They're the defending champions. They don't have to worry about Toronto FC in the final again for three out of four years or whatever. So they look very good. And I'm glad that I'm staying out of the whole Sporting Kansas City conversation. I played for them for eight years and, and my bias would show in that one. So I'll let you guys handle that one. I wish them the best of luck tonight. And I look forward to speaking to everybody on the pod again next week. Thanks for having me. Jimmy Conrad, always good to have you, brother. Stay safe and we will see you next time. Thank you, Jimmy. Welcome back, everybody. We wrap everything up with my man, Heath Pierce, as we continue to talk MLS. Just a few more things about the crew in New England, uh, Heath. You know, uh, the latest news that we have as well, because the crew has has had some, obviously, problems with COVID, et cetera, and the squad. Uh, according to the latest, uh, they received uh, no additional positive COVID-19 tests as of late Wednesday, you know, as we're taping, that might change, but that helps a little bit. And also, by the way, they're meant to be welcoming some fans for this one. Uh, and that might be a big thing. Look, I think uh, it's hard because I've played in my career in front of empty stadiums, right? Yeah, what's that um, like? What is that like? It, it, it's hard. It, 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 it's a big difference, right? It wasn't until, and, and I think I've said this before, but when I was playing, when I started my career in Denmark, most of the teams you played against were you know, six to ten, six to 10,000 seaters, but they typically fill the house, right? And you'd have a good atmosphere, 10,000 and 10,000 seat stadium, pretty good atmosphere. And then you'd have a few where, you know, my, my team was only five years old at that point. We had very few fans there, but then you'd travel away to an FC Copenhagen and it'd be a packed house or a Brunby, it'd be a packed house. And it wasn't until I played with the national team against Germany before the 2006 World Cup where I was like, oh, this is what it's like to have home fans and feel for the away team feel very, very far from home. Now, when you start to tinker with percentages and things like that, it feels good to have fans in your stadium. It feels good to have the validation when things are going well, but I don't know if outside of a full stadium or a full type of atmosphere in your supporter sections and those things, if it's really going to make a difference for the home team, right? You're not really feeling that 12th man as much. And so, and again, I, I, Maybe it's been so quiet for so long that that makes the huge difference. I don't know. This We're an unprecedented time, so it's hard for me to put myself in that scenario and say, oh, 2,000 fans or 10,000 fans or 20,000 fans would make a big difference depending on the size of the stadium. But it certainly is a boost for sure because big moments, a Meg, uh, uh, um, drawing a foul, a, you know, a bad referee call, uh, those types of things start to have – create that atmosphere of, of, of a home-like thing, regardless of the fans, you, you, you start to feel that energy and feed off of that. Yeah, and I think there's another caveat to it, of the fact that not only like if you welcome fans, regardless of that number, it's kind of weird as well because they're doing it in, you know, uh, the playoffs. It's not just like a regular team, like game. So that could add a little bit of pressure. I mean, we had Gabby Agbonlahor earlier uh, a few weeks ago, and he said something about this, and I've said it a, a, a few times here on the pod, but I'll say it again, which is- By the way, of course you had him on this show. Oh, we've had Gabby, we've had uh, uh -huh. Emil Heskey. 
I mean, I'll just bring everybody on. I'm waiting for a super Jack Grealish, and then we'll make it happen. Brad Gazan has an open invite at all times. Brad Gazan can come. Has a key, has a key to your apartment. Sure, if he wants. Like, doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, but he said, basically, the other component about a lot of fans as well, especially if you're in a really enclosed stadium, is that uh, as much as they can be the 12th man helping you, they can also be the 12th man pushing you to, like, really up your game. And, you know, if you're, like, for example, a fan that's super close to the corner flag, like, and you're taking it and your team's losing, like you will hear it. So that, but this is different because yeah. we don't know the number and everything. So I, to your point, we don't know how much of an impact it will make. I will say, by the way, and I'll give this quick little story. It, when I was playing in the Bundesliga, we had lost three or four games in a row. We got a letter from the fans that said, hey, we as fans are not satisfied with the effort being put out by the team. We are not going to cheer this weekend until we see effort. And so you have the ultras in the corner and then the rest of the fans in the stadium sort of feed off them. They start the songs, they stop the songs, they start the, all of the rhythm comes from one corner. Um, and that's what happened. We went out on the field, a full stadium, and it was silent. Five minutes, 10 minutes, silent. And you could hear a pin drop in there. And we were pushing and pushing and really trying to show an effort. And then after about 15 minutes, I'll send you the video so you see it. The fans got up, they started singing, the place went nuts. And it was a, an indicator and a reminder that you guys are nothing without the fans. And it, it, it swung that energy like this. And us having to feed off ourselves and create our own momentum was far different than kickoff, fans go crazy. We had the pregame song where all the fans sing the club song and all the things that really give you that emotional connection to the club and the energy for kickoff. It finally came to about 15, 20 minutes into the game and it changed everything. We ended up winning that game. We played really, really well, but that's just the power of those fans and, and, and the power in numbers. Again, it's a little bit unique, but that, that was always a reminder to me of, of um, just how important they are to driving results for a club. That's a really great story. I hope you frame that letter, or at least it's framed in the stadium or something. That's pretty fun. I love that. I love that. Well, it's, right. never, it's never a good sign when, when the sporting director comes in and goes, hey, we got mail. Uh, <laughs> it's from the fans. It's like written, really well written, a lot of curse words in it. That was basically like, uh, you know, get it together because, or, or we're going to stop coming. Because when fans protest in, in Europe, especially, uh, they'll stop buying tickets. They'll stop coming. They'll stop. And that's a fi huge financial implication uh, to a club. Sorry to keep going back on that, but yeah. Oh, no, no, it's a really good point. And uh, sadly, no more letters probably is just a tweet. It's just a reply to the club social, right? Which is like not as poetic. Let's talk about the other side. I know that the game is tonight. So you guys, if you're listening after this, uh, et cetera, I predicted Sporting KC on this one. And I have promised to uh, some of our listeners here that if uh, Minnesota win, you can send me a Minnesota United scarf and I will wear it, put a selfie on and go Minnesota. I don't care. Like if, if they lose, they lose. I like Minnesota. I just think that Sporting KC will take this one. You think Minnesota. I like Minnesota because of the form. Again, we talked about this. Reynoso uh, is, is hugely capable. And I think Minnesota, for the sake of a good playoff run, are the better team to play against Seattle, right? Mm -hmm. Even though they'll have to travel away, Seattle will be home. And I think it's almost impossible to beat Seattle at home. Um, they are a better team to match up with Seattle. They'll be more, more disciplined. They'll wait for their moments to attack. They won't give up a lot of those spaces that Seattle like to execute Seattle, by the way, weren't all that great. I don't think against, against Dallas and, and uh, they weren't creating all the opportunities. When you look at what, what people are calling the big three between Lodero Morris and, and Rui Diaz, they were in sync at times, 
Um, but but it wasn't their best. And and I know we hold them to a different standard because of the connection they've created together. But I will say about Morris, and maybe you feel differently. I want to get your take on this, Luis, on, on the Seattle side. He is one of the few players in the league that when I watch him, I watch him in the same vein that I watch a top player in the Premier League where when they go to him with the ball, I am fully locked in of saying, if he gets a moment, if he gets a space, if he if he unlocks something, he might score, right? And that's that's something that I don't remember being in this league uh, uh, across the board, right? When when you look when you look at the quality, you look at Diego Rossi, you're like, okay, sometimes he's in, he's very busy, he's gonna create opportunities, his first touch is improving, but when he gets the ball, you don't think he might score here. But when Jordan Morris gets the ball on the wing and he's driving inside, or Lodero's looking to him in an isolated one-on-one position, you go. He could do something. He could literally create a goal out of this. And, and, and I remember thinking that going like, I don't remember ever watching major league soccer in that way where you had a talented player. And, and there's one, other, I, I was thinking of one other player in the league that, and, and I'm trying to think of who that, who that is, but, oh, I mean, Carlos Vela basically where you get him the ball and you're like, okay, if you don't bring help over to uh, against him to support him and create an overload, which is going to create openings all over the field he might punish you. And even if you bring two or three players, he might still punish you. And that's an exciting thing uh, to watch. But I do think they weren't really in sync in that last game. And I think Minnesota will give them a better chance. Of course, Minnesota have to get through KC. Um, and if KC were to win, then Seattle then have to play away, which I think uh, is, is, is a big difference than a Seattle at home. Yeah, I totally agree about the Jordan Morris thing, by the way. Uh, Joseph Martinez brings uh, to mind as well as Robbie Keane as well, that kind of player. By the way, like non- I don't think I've ever said this, uh, but everybody should know, like non-Peruvian players inside in MLS, Jordan Morris is my favorite player in the league because of exactly what you just said. I just, I just think that you, you give him the ball and he's so confident in the decision of what he wants to do, whether he like, obviously he will fail sometimes, but he knows exactly what he wants to do and you expect almost something to come out of it. And if it's not the assist, it's definitely the very beginning of something very special for Seattle. And when you bring Nicolodero and Raul Ruiz, then that becomes uh, really, really special. I do agree as well that out of Sporting KC and Minnesota United, the one team that can cause more problems is Minnesota. But I see Seattle going all the way to MLS Cup. Uh, give me your prediction on that. Who do you see going to MLS Cup? Ah, uh, man, I'm going with, I, I think, I, I think we're going to see a new England Seattle MLS cup, yeah. uh, in Seattle. This is where, you know, they, they really solidify themselves by the way, uh, there's still a potential coaching change in Seattle because Schmetzer doesn't have a new deal. And I don't know if that's him. I don't know if that's the club, but how is there not anywhere else in the world? You're like, we, whether you think it's the coach or not, you're like, something is happening here, yeah. you know? And it's been proven time and again. Yeah, we've got the players. Yeah, we've got the experience. Yeah, we've got the stadium and the fans and all, you know, we've got this club that's made playoffs every single year. But Schmetzer is one where still a deal up in the air. But I, I, I think uh, I, I'm going to go with New England against Seattle uh, in the final um, with, with, with Seattle winning it. And, and it, it feels lazy when you say that, you know, when you say Seattle. But, like, I don't know who beats them. Well, it's because you want to be romantic and imagine that maybe Bruce Arena could go all the way, but that's just too far-fetched. Uh, but I'm going to go with exactly the same narrative. I think that it's uh, New England at Seattle. 
but I'm going to go with a New England win. Let's just keep riding this Bruce Arena ball because, you know, if there's something that we just heard from both you and Jimmy is that there is such a thing as like, I've been here before. I've been in bigger stages as well, uh, both internationally, domestically, and I I can take care of business. And I think that not having fans, or I don't know what the limitation will be on MLS Cup, might be an impact. But if if there's a manager that can disrupt creativity, it's Bruce Arena. And I feel that that could happen. Yep. I, and, and I think Jimmy really painted the picture. I, I only played under Bruce um, in six of my caps and then all for, for an all-star game, which was more of like, you know, Bruce at, you know, ultimate casual mode. Um, <laughs> but you do always know what you were getting into with Bruce Arena. You know how to, to roll out. And there is a patience with Bruce that, that uh, and, and a calm of like, you know, the reason I've assembled this squad is because I know this squad can beat the team that we're playing against, right? And right. whether that's true or not, there is a belief. You're not second-guessing going, oh, man, like, we might we might give up possession for the whole game or they got, you know, they've got uh, Darlington Nagby. They've got, you know, they've got Pedro Santos. They've got all these players. You're not really thinking about that, and you're focused more on, on, on how it is you're going to get the result. And so there is a – and I think – I don't know. Bruce Arena is the, the first or second winningest coach in, in major league soccer history or somewhere like some sort of stat like that, that he know you know, he knows how to get results and he's been in these positions before. So, you know, you look at the, 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 di- the dynasty days of, of, of LA galaxy and you're like, you know, Bruce Arena has a lot to do with assembling that squad, but also putting those pieces together to make somebody make a team that can be competitive in the playoffs. Again, regular season is one thing, Playoffs is a completely different. And then in the single elimination now, it's a completely different matchup. You have to be good on that day. And I think Bruce Arena is, is, is the best, if not one of the best, at getting his team up and ready on that single day. Well said. That's all the time we have. We will end with that great conclusion there by Heath Pierce. Uh, Heath, thank you so much, brother. I hope you enjoy all the games. And I know that me and you, it's just me and you, for weekend preview, by the way. So make sure that you stay tuned. Heath, thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me. It's far better when it's just you and I, you know what I mean? A little more and a little more intimate, you know, with Jimmy jumping in all the time. And, you know, so I appreciate you having me. Yeah, don't tell Jimmy this. Yeah, he'll, he, he, he won't listen to this one because he's not he's not on this part. He'll listen to the part that he's on and then he'll he'll cut it off, you know? And he would just be on Twitch after this. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, I want to thank Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce for joining me today. One last thing. I had a question on social. My favorite top three Bad Bunny songs. Very quickly, I'm going to go with La Canción with J Balvin from their Oasis album. I'm going to go with Caro. Such a good song. And the last one, you have to go with Yo Perreo Sola from the latest album, Yo Hago Lo Que Me Da La Gana. Bad Bunny, love him. I love you guys. Make sure that you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Listen to us on on all of those if you listen to us on cbsports.com as well. Follow us on Twitter, Pod, and please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We're always here for you. We will be back with a lot more content every single weekday. Have a great day. (laughs) 